Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. I hope you had a great week. As always, Let's Talk Micro is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, Amazon Music, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, Good Pods. Whatever you listen to your podcast, you can find Let's Talk Micro. I am also on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, and on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1. So please go ahead and follow. I always like to post pictures of organisms and give updates as to when the next episode is coming out. So if you want to follow, give feedback, any topic suggestions, please go ahead and do so. They're always appreciated and welcome. And if you haven't checked out the previous episode, go ahead and do so. It was an interview with Dr. Lacey Moss from the University of Utah Medical Laboratory Sciences Program. She came to the podcast and talked about the Summer Immersion Program. And what's this? Well, this is an initiative to bring more awareness and interest to the medical laboratory sciences profession. It is for high school students, and they get to experience what it's like working with samples from different areas of the lab. She talks about that they do like a differential, they do like a culture, they get to streak plates. So they get, they get familiarized with different areas of the lab. And in my opinion, this is a great effort and initiative. This university, this program, you know, they are doing great things already. They are reaching out to high schools and they are working on the issue that happens when promoting awareness is successful, which is increasing the class size. We all want to be out there as medical laboratory professionals. We want to make sure that people know more about our profession. Since I mentioned that a lot of times people find out about this profession by accident. People in high school don't think about medical laboratory sciences. If anyone is inclined in sciences, they are thinking about maybe some sort of chemist, a doctor, a nurse. So I don't think that many high school students even know about the medical laboratory sciences profession. So when we promote awareness, we also want to make sure that we have enough resources such as classrooms, staff, so we can accommodate the increase in numbers. And I like to mention this because typically most medical laboratory sciences and medical laboratory technician programs, they only have enough resources for maybe one class, which comes down to about 30, 31 students. So you have one class that's starting their program typically, and then you have a second class, which is finishing their clinicals, you know, their practicums, and then they graduate. And that's about it. But you don't have two classes getting their instruction and two classes, you know, doing their clinicals. It doesn't happen like that. Unfortunately, we don't have the resources, the staffing to accommodate them. So the University of Utah, the, their MLS program, their medical laboratory sciences program, they are working on this. They are working on increasing their class size to about 70 students. And this is amazing. This makes, you know, this means that we can have more professionals out there working in the lab. And we definitely need the staffing labs across the country. So this is a great initiative. And I want to give a shout out to the University of Utah Medical Laboratory Sciences Program. On today's episode, I go back to talking about organisms. We had a great series of interviews 
and this will continue as the show goes on. But today I want to go back to talking about organisms. So the last time I talked about organisms, I finished talking about group B strep. So I started doing a series of streps. So I did strep A, which is, remember the name? Streptococcus pyogenes. And then I talked about Streptococcus B, which is Streptococcus agalactiae. So they are both beta-hemolytic. I talked about testing, morphology, biochemicals. I talked about PCR tests, antigen testing. And I also went over the Lansfield classification system. So Streptococcus pyogenes is in group A. Streptococcus agalactiae is group B. So if you don't remember or if you want to have a refresher, please go ahead and check out those episodes. Like I mentioned, anything from morphology, you know, what, what diseases do they cause, they are seen on, how does it look like on a plate, what kind of media, how can we screen for it, detect it. It is some good information, so go ahead and check out those, two, those episodes if you haven't yet. So I want to continue talking about beta-hemolytic strep. So today I'm going to go over another beta-hemolytic strep that we encounter in the lab, which is Streptococcus dysgalactiae. Those of you that work in the lab, that work in clinical microbiology, you're familiar with it. You have either done the typing for it, or you have put it on a, on a Vitec, or you have done the Molotov on them, so you have seen them. So Streptococcus dysgalactiae is very commonly seen in the lab. And what is Streptococcus dysgalactiae? This is a beta-hemolytic catalyst-negative strep. There are two species. Streptococcus dysgalactiae, subspecies dysgalactiae, and Streptococcus dysgalactiae, subspecies equisimilis. And you students out there, that when you do uh, either some sort of microbiology class or you are medical laboratory science students in your lab, one of the most common tests that we do is, is the strep typing, right? And it is based on the Lansfield system, like I mentioned before. So Streptococcus dysgalactiae is also part of the, the Lansfield classification system. And I will talk about that in a minute. So another question that arises is, is this pathogenic? Is it normal flora? Does it inhabit the body? Well, Streptococcus dysgalactiae is part of the microbiota of the skin, nasopharynx, gastrointestinal, and genital tract. As far as diseases, it causes infections similar to those of Streptococcus pyogenes. Infections include upper respiratory tract infections, skin, and soft tissue infections. There, have, there has also been cases of necrotizing fasciitis, bacteremia, endocarditis, and some cases of glomerulonephritis and acute rheumatic fever. As far as virulence factors, Strains responsible for infection harbor genes similar to Streptococcus pyogenes. So it is a strep that's seen in, in a variety of diseases. And in the lab, we actually, you know, we work it up and we identify it. We typically tend to see it a lot of either on respiratory cultures and we see it in wound cultures as well. So let's start talking about morphology. What does it look like? Well, let's start with beta-hemolysis. And while we're at that, let's go ahead and refresh that term for the benefit of 
the students out there. So hemolysis, right, it's the lysis of RBCs, of red blood cells. There are three types of hemolysis. There is alpha, which is partial lysis, and it gives like a greenish hue. Then we have beta hemolysis, which is complete lysis. So you can see through the plate, basically. And then you have gamma hemolysis, which is no hemolysis. And this is, you know, this is a term that you use. Typically, it's used a lot for strep, for strep and, you know, for strep, enterococcus. So, so far, as far as the organisms that I have talked about, right, I mentioned Staphylococcus aureus is beta-hemolytic. We have Staphylococcus lugdunensis is beta-hemolytic, Streptococcus pyogenes, and Streptococcus agalactiae. And for your students out there, and I will say so maybe a, a tech that hasn't been working long on microbiology, there are some degrees of hemolysis. I mean, you have the three types, but within those types, it, sometimes, you know, they can be stronger. It can be stronger in some organisms than in others. A great example is Streptococcus agalactiae. It is beta hemolytic. You know, the colonies are like a milky white. The hemolysis is beta, but it is not as strong as, say, a Streptococcus pyogenes. You can see more through the plate with a Streptococcus pyogenes than you can with a Streptococcus agalactiae. You see it there, it's not green. So it's not a partial hemolysis, partial lysis, but it's not as strong as a group A strep. So in the case of Streptococcus dysgalactiae, the hemolysis is strong. So you can definitely, when you put it on the light, you can see through the plate. So it's a complete lysis and a very strong presentation. And as you're seeing all the streps, one of the things that, you know, you start getting used to the morphology and the hemolysis, and one thing with group B strep, and I like to exhort the students to when you are working on these organisms, look at your blood plate and look at your chocolate plate. So your blood plate is the one that you actually use for the hemolysis, right? We have talked about this and you know this, so that's the plate that you use. But when typically most cultures, you know, they have a blood and a chocolate plate. So look at both. Typically group B strep, the colonies on the chocolate plate, they look white and there is no green. With the other streps, you know, like A, uh, Streptococcus pyogenes and Streptococcus dysgalactiae, the colonies look green on chocolate. So this is how you can start, start telling them apart. So go ahead and put that on your notes and remember that. It's always good to get familiarized with all these morphologies. That way, of course, you know, we have molded off. That makes life easier for us in many aspects. But you should know your organisms. Things can go wrong. You can scan the wrong plate on the molded off. Someone can set up the, the wrong organism. So we need to get familiarized with all the morphologies. So keep that in mind. Group A strep looks green on chocolate. Group B strep looks white. And Streptococcus dysgalactiae looks green on chocolate. Now that we are familiar with the morphology, then what test do we do? Well, if you answer catalase, you are correct. It is catalase negative. It is also PYR negative. And then the question is, can you perform the Lansfield typing on it? 
And the answer is yes, absolutely. And one kit that I like to mention that you use for strip typing, which is the Path or DX, it also contains latex for other landfill groups. In addition to the A and B, it actually has latex for landfills groups A, B, C, F, and G. But like I mentioned before, you do see a lot more of group A strip and group B strip. So a lot of labs that like to purchase the latex for A and B separately. That way, you know, you don't run out, you don't make a kit short. So you have more of that latex. Now. But it definitely has latex for groups C, F, and G. And do you remember how to perform this test? Well, if you don't, go ahead and check out episode 7 of this podcast. So what landfill group does Streptococcus dysgalactiae belong to? Well, it is in groups C and G. There has also been, you know, there have been strains that are landfill groups A and L. However, in the lab, you commonly see C or G. And I know that it can be confusing, and you might think that when you perform the typing, you might get a, a result for positive C and G. However, that is not the case. You get one or the other. And for the benefit of students, and even technologists as well. Let's go ahead and put this together. You are working on the bench and you see a beta hemolytic strip. You perform a PYR and it is negative. So if this is the case, you haven't ruled out Streptococcus dysgalacti out. If it is PYR positive, then you have ruled it out. So you go ahead and move on to the typing and you get a C or a G result. You haven't ruled it out, but having this Lansfield result is not exclusive to Streptococcus dysgalactiae, and I will talk more about that on another episode. As far as media, this organism grows well on blood, chocolate, PEA, CNA. It also grows on CDC agar. And if, I, if you're using a vasitracing disc, this organism is resistant to it. As far as commercial methods, you can use the Vitec and Malditov. In the lab, you typically do the typing before you place it on the Vitec, so you can give preliminary results. Your facility might not have the typing kit for this, and maybe just the A and B latex. In this case, it just goes straight to the Vitec. The same card on the Vitec that you use to identify your Staphylococcus, your Enterococcus, that same ID card will identify Streptococcus dysgalactiae. However, if your facility has a Malditov, you might not even do the typing anymore because, you know, if you're going to put it on the Maldi, you get, you get a faster result. So as far as the Vitec, like I mentioned, it will definitely identify with minor problems, and I will talk more about that in a second. However, with the Malditov, you would always get a low discrimination and for the benefit of the students, when you have a low discrimination on an, on an instrument that performs identification, it means that it, it, it has trouble making, let's say, making a full choice. There might be some tests that might be discrepant. So it's having an issue choosing between one species and another. So this happens with systems like the Vitec, and it also happens with the Molitov. So with the Molitov, you get a low discrimination between Streptococcus dysgalactiae, subspecies dysgalactiae, 
and subspecies Equisimilis. But in that case, there is no need to do any further testing. You can go ahead and call it Streptococcus discalactiae, and that's it. When it comes to the Vitex, sometimes you can get a little discrimination, and this is something that I've seen between Streptococcus discalactiae and Streptococcus agalactiae. So in this case, of course, you will do the typing. If it's B positive, if it's positive for B, it's agalactiae. And if it's typing C or G, it is Streptococcus disgalactiae. But like I said with the Molitov, you don't need to do any further testing or confirm. You just go ahead and call it Streptococcus disgalactiae. And if you're a facility that uses the CAMP test for Streptococcus dysgalactiae, the CAMP test result, it's negative. If you need a refresher on the CAMP test, go ahead and check out the episodes that I did on Group B Strip on this podcast. So there you have it. CAMP test negative, bacitracing resistant, beta-hemolytic. So, and I mentioned this earlier, but you students, this is how you start getting this in your mind, right? By doing a PYR result and it's positive, you rule out B, C, F, and G. And then when you start typing, look at your morphology. If you see white colonies on a chocolate plate, start with B. And if you see milky white colonies, a hemolysis not as strong, start with B. If you see strong hemolysis, PYR negative, green colonies on the chocolate, go ahead and start with C, F, and G. So this is how you start telling them apart. Because like I always say, we have instruments that perform identification, but by morphology, biochemicals, by the use of these, we should basically know what we have before we actually put it on an instrument to prove it. We should have an idea of the organism. And this is how we become good at our jobs, by associating morphology, biochemicals, and repetition, we get comfortable, we get familiar with the organisms, and if something goes wrong with an instrument, if an erroneous ID or a questionable ID is produced, we know something is off. And this is very important in our jobs, right? We don't want to make mistakes because they affect the patients. And that, my dear audience, is the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening and learning about Streptococcus dysgalactiae. As always, I enjoy sharing this information with you. Continue staying motivated. Continue bringing that passion to what you do. It is so important. It makes us better at our jobs. Continue educating yourself, yourselves. So, stay motivated. Stay safe. And of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time. Bye.